Hi everyone! Welcome to the Curiously Creative Podcast. Curiously Creative loves creativity and inspiring people to follow their own creative curiosities. We hope to bring you a bit of joy and inspiration with everything we do so that you can fall in love with creativity too. I'm your host, Akriti Lee, and each month I share conversations with all kinds of creative people who share their journeys and unique perspectives around their own creativity. We hope these conversations help us understand our own creative process and have the courage to live more creative lives. Oh my God, you all, today I'm so excited to share my chat with the obviously hilarious, but also very cool, warm and welcoming Ursula Carlson. Ursula is one of the most hilarious and prominent comedians based in New Zealand. Did I mention hilarious? Having entered the comedy world much later in life by a quote-unquote accident, she now regularly performs and tours all around the world and appears in many TV shows both in New Zealand and Australia. She has racked up many, many awards for her stand-up comedy, such as the Best Female Comedian for multiple years at the New Zealand Comedy Guild Awards and many more, and also appearing in Netflix's Comedians of the World. So I'll start with um, thank you. No worries. I'm thank so, you. so grateful that I get to interview. This is so, so cool. <laughs> I'm glad we've got time for it. Yeah. And I guess the first question really and a good starting point yeah. is to get an idea of how did it first start out for you? Because I know comedy wasn't your straight go-to. It was something oh, no. that you came along yeah. later down the track. Yeah. It wasn't even a distant dream. Up until the day I started doing comedy, I'd never even been to a stand-up show. It had never... Wow even crossed my mind that it was a thing. You know, when you stumble on something, you go, oh, this is a thing. Like the first time you meet a sandboard instructor, you go, a what? So, <laughs> you know, like, yes, what is that actually? <laughs> yeah. I just know about sandboarding. It's top of mind because in two weeks, I'm going sandboarding in the Kalahari. I'll get into that later. But I used to work in advertising. I started off as a typesetter. I did a typesetting apprenticeship. And then I kept going to school, became the artist for the newspaper that I worked for, and then the graphic designer, and then the production manager. And then I worked there for 12 years. Then I moved over to New Zealand, and I started working in advertising as a designer. And I worked for Ogilvy and uh, for Y&R. And then when I left Ogilvy, they gave me this fake contract, because we work in these pods, you know, where we just have, like, a copywriter and a retoucher and a Mac operator. You right, know, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we always had really good fun at work, like, but because we were there sometimes up to 15 hours a day, you know, so you, you sort of go beyond friendship, you're in this delirium slash family mode, you're almost in a sweatshop. And um, we just all got on really well. And we, even when we had time off, we'd spend it together and we had such a laugh that they all go, you have to go do stand-up comedy because, you know, we laugh so much. And I went, no thanks. But then when I left, they gave me this fake contract to go do an open mic night at the Classic on Queen Street. So I went, because I, I signed it to drinks trolley, and I didn't want to look like a dick because I hadn't been in the country for very long. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. And they all came. They, there was about 70 of them. Like, basically the entire agency came along, and I did five minutes. It was on St. Patrick's Day, 2008. The scariest thing I've ever done to date. Yeah, at the end of it, we had a few drinks, and... One of the comics, Brendan Lovegrove, came up to me and he goes, you know, how long have you been doing stand-up? And I go, oh, I don't do stand-up. I did this as a work thing. And he goes, you've never done this? I go, no, I don't do this. <laughs> and he goes, oh, you have to come back. And he sat with us for about an hour and a half, just drinking with us and just going, you have to do it, you have to do it. And my friend Leon Fisk, who's the guy that got me into it in the first place, he's like, yeah, you have to, you have to. 
And I went, no. And then I got a call the next day to say that I'm through to the next round of Raw Quest where they have this competition every year where they look for new talent yeah. at the comedy festival. And we didn't know that he had accidentally entered me into this thing. It was during that time. I went, oh, no. Accidentally. Accidentally. You see how things work <laughs> And I go, oh, no, thanks. And he goes, you have to come back and do it. You were so funny. People were laughing. And I, I said to the guy, I go, my people were laughing because I knew 70 people in your audience. Like, it was stacked in my favor. And then he goes, I was in the audience. I laughed. I don't know you. And I thought, hmm. And then he said, you should come back. Don't tell anyone. Just come and do it. It'll be a great opportunity. And because I don't believe in not taking opportunities because I don't believe in living with regret. Yeah. So if anything comes up, I will do it if I can do it. When it's presented to you. Yeah, as an opportunity. If yeah. you go, this is an opportunity, I should do it. Then I will do it. Yeah. Because I don't want to later go, oh, I should have done that interview with that lady. What's her name? Oprah. You know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I have to do it. And then... I went back. I didn't tell anyone. The next Monday I went back. It was just me. I wrote a new five minutes. I did it. People still laughed. But then it didn't really matter. I was hooked. I just, you know, the competition be damned. I was going to do it regardless. I just loved it. The second time I just fell in love with it. The first time I was so petrified. And then the second time I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, I just love that buzz. When I came off stage, I couldn't sleep till like four o'clock in the morning, you know, just people laughing, wow. that interaction. So, you know, I knew it was always sort of going to be there I didn't know to what extent it would take over my life but yeah then I won Best Newcomer in 2008 and it's just wow I can't believe that it's like I mean although 10 years is a long time mm. but 10 years to have just begun in an industry yeah and come so far so quickly it's amazing yeah, yeah honestly I love the stories like that I'm blown I still yeah. say to audiences like I did this gig in um, Sydney right and I walk out and there's a thousand seven hundred people and they're just screaming. And I look at them and I go, <laughs> why are they here? <laughs> How do they know of me? You know, and I say that to them. I go, every time I walk out on a stage and I look at the audience, I'm always amazed that there's people. I'm like, why are you here? Like, you know. I'm, Where did they come from? Yeah, <laughs> how do you know? How do you know of me? And, you know, but I love that. I love the audience. I love that interaction. It's yeah. like a conversation between me and them. But they don't really get a chance to speak. Their speaking chance is just laughter. So, But it's that back and forth that, you know, this feels like you're with friends in the room, but there's just a lot of them, you know, like you're dominating the chatter at a barbecue. That's what it feels like. Dominating the chatter, yeah. which <laughs> occasionally you do anyway. Yeah, why Especially would you Especially if not? it's your place. <laughs> <laughs> if you have the tongs, you're yeah, in charge. That's, that's right. the that's rule. Right. Yeah. So... When you were uh, back in South Africa, mm -hmm. um, you had no inclination that you were into comedy at all. Cause no, nothing. Nothing. Like, was there something that part of your um, habit or hobby or anything, how you nothing. interacted with friends where you cracked a lot of jokes or anything? Well, like yeah. That? I mean, I've always cracked a lot of jokes. I think that's why it's sort of... Like, even when I said to my friends in South Africa, I started doing stand-up comedy. None of them went... They weren't surprised. They were like... Of course you are. You know, because the same. Like, I just always have fun at work. And I think if you're going to spend a lot of time yeah. there, you might as well get stuck in and enjoy it, you know. Yes, yes. So, yeah, we always had fun. We always, you know, laughed a lot. And I think it's a good indication that you get on well with your colleagues. Like, about six of them now live in New Zealand too. They all sort yeah. of followed me a couple of years after I came over. But, yeah, none of them were surprised. Like, you know, it's not like when you come out to your friends as gay, a few of them would go, really? 
feel great. Yeah, but they kind of know anyway. Yeah. They kind of yeah, knew yeah. all the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like, They're just people waiting. Were, people were more surprised when I came out of the closet uh, than they were when I told them I was doing Oh, right. Yeah, right. They were right. like, of course you are. We knew. We knew you'd get to it eventually. Like, you did? <laughs> Someone should have told me. I could have stopped working behind a computer years ago. So was there like a reason why you never really considered you know, cracking jokes, even if you hadn't seen any stand-up shows or anything like that, as a potential thing that you could do, even as a career or a hobby? No, I didn't. It's, again, back to the sandboarding instructor. If you don't know, you know, okay. you don't even know you don't know it. And even when mm. I started doing stand-up comedy, I didn't know it could be a career choice. Like, you right. could do it for money. I'll never forget the first time I got paid for a gig. I got paid $40. And I went home, said to my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, I said to her, look at this, I got $40 for talking for seven <laughs> minutes. And we couldn't believe it. Then we were working on how much that would be an hour. We're like, that's amazing. And um, we were so stoked. Yeah. And just go, this is amazing. This is a, a hobby, but you actually get paid. It's like making candles and selling yeah. it at the craft market. You know, it's sort of, this is great. It's like I would do it for free anyway, but they yeah. paid me. Yeah, but you know what? That mindset, and that's what Jeremy Corbett and I talked about this once. You go, you know, you go do a gig. Yeah. And from the minute I get booked for the gig, the briefing for the gig, driving to the gig, meeting the whoever organized it, and me going and doing the gig, and then I leave. To me, it's all about the show and what I'm going to do. And yes. I've, you know, say if it's a corporate, I've written five minutes just for the company. And, you know, so I'm sort of just invested in the material and the gig. And then when I drive home, I'm like, that was amazing. And then I go, oh, fuck, I get to invoice them. I never, <laughs> up until that point, so when it's finished, yeah. the money doesn't cross my mind till it's done. Then I go, oh. And I get to invoice. So, and I think I was actually talking um, to Julie, my wife, yesterday. I go, you know, back in the day when I used to work in an office, occasionally I'd fantasize if I won the lotto, what I'd do. Or even if I, you know, like if you're on a deadline and you're just sitting there for like seven days a week, 15 hours a day, I'd look out and there was a park right next to, in Parnell, yeah. right next to the office. And I'd see the guy mowing the lawns on his little. Um, right on lawnmower, and he always looks so happy. And I'd look at him and go, shit, I wish I was that guy. I'd rather be outside right now than sitting here in this, yeah. you know, and, and just be happy and interact with people. Because he'd, like, pull up and chat to people, you know, and he just always looked like such a happy guy. I go, I am that guy now. Because I no longer fantasize about winning the lotto. I would change nothing of my life. I would still do the gigs that I've been booked to do, um, you know. Like, mm -hmm. I honestly, would change nothing. I don't even think I've moved out of this house because I really like my neighbours. But, yeah. Well, that's the ultimate goal, right? To get yeah. to that point that you're just so happy with content. where... And content. Yeah. Like, because you, you're not faking it. Yeah. You're being yourself. You're getting paid for it. Yeah. And everything around you is kind of sorting itself out. Yeah. yeah. And, and now I do get paid for it. I get paid really well. But my, like, my number one love is still stand-up, you know. Or there's a lot of other stuff that I didn't even know was part of comedy. That is now part of my life, like writing and radio and TV and TV writing and, you know, all of these things and corporates and hosting awards nights and stuff. And you go, that's got nothing to do with it. Okay. Now I can see how it sort of opens this whole new world and you kind of go, oh, this is, you know, this is great. But my first love is still stand up. That's my, 
my number one. If I had to peel it all back and yeah. say, what would you rather do? Stand up because well, that live interaction is amazing. Okay, so it's because of the live interaction that is mm. it kind of that feeling, the adrenaline as well, and it's immediate. Mm. It's not. I guess it's like um, you know, even when I worked in advertising, you come up with a campaign for someone, and then you implement the campaign. You push it. It can take say anywhere from a month to six months mm. for this new campaign, and then you sort of hand it over to the public, and then you wait. What will their response be? <laughs> you know, because then you have to sort of see. Even some TV ads, you see, like people just some TV ads just go off like that. Um, that DIY ad on Modern Teen where they go, "Oh, you want a chance? You want to help us with the DIY project yeah, 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 this weekend?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, "Nah, mate." You know, and he goes, "What?" You know, or yeah, yeah. or whatever. So when they just came up with it, I bet they didn't know it was going to go off the way it does. But it's just gone off, right? Like internationally, it's gone viral. But then other things they come up with and people go, oh, that's actually quite offensive. And, you know, like, or people just hate an ad for no reason, you know, and you go, oh, how come we didn't see it? We were working on it for six months. Whereas in comedy, you don't have that. You go out, you say something, even if you, because it's a very internal process, Mm. right? So I sit here in my office or when I'm on the road or on a plane and I just think of something and I immediately put it on my phone. And then in front of an audience, I'll try it. And sometimes they just look at me. And other times they just, they groan. And you go, oh, oh, I get it. Like in my show, Loser, I do this bit about how I just want to be thin enough to be able to eat a donut in public. And then I talk about how thin people don't even think about what they put in their mouth. But fat people can't do that. But the way I worded it, the audience started to feel sorry for me. And I went, oh, no, 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 that's not where this is going. (laughs) Think of the donut. And then I had to sit back and go, okay, how do I reword this so they don't feel sorry for me? But they go, oh, yeah, you can't eat the donut, you fatty. You know, sort of you want them on that level. You go, I don't feel sorry for me, so I don't want you to feel sorry. But you can't say that to the audience. You have to say it in a way without saying it. With your, you know, you have to keep it, uh, talk in in a bubble that they feel safe. But it's immediate. And if something doesn't work, you go, I can fix this. It's right. not like advertising where you go, oh shit, now we have to issue an apology, we have to pull that yeah. advertising and mm. we have to redo in, in a week, you know, whereas while I'm on stage, if I look in the audience's eyes and I go, they don't like this, mm. I change tact. Or if they love it, I go, this is the right way. Yeah, yeah it yeah. gives you feedback really quickly. And it's kind of like that concept that they talk about, about failing fast. Yeah. You know, rather than do all this, spend all this time doing work and releasing it out. Yeah. And then you get all this shit come back to you. Yeah. Which you could have avoided if you just done mini runs. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. or like smaller, cheaper runs. Yeah, and yeah. you'd have saved your money on like extra PR or, yeah. you know, um, yeah. damage control and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But okay. So it's just the fast feedbacks helps you improve. Yeah, your content content straight away. Do you yeah. resolve it in your head yeah. as you're on stage? Yes. Yeah, that's what I love because I'm quite, as a person, impatient with stuff too. Like I just, if I <laughs> if I make a decision, I go, let's just do it. You know, even if I, I used to go, let's just do it. Let's just pitch it to the client now, and they go, no, no, let's wait. Or even you know, like my wife and I will go out and go, let's just get this car. Like we're looking for a car. This is what we need. Let's buy it. And she. Goes, no, we need to, well, this is like the second car we've seen. I go, yeah, well, I'm happy with it. Let's get it. No, but now we go to 22 other places, go look at other cars, and then she goes, yeah, I think that second one was the best one. I go, see, we should have just gotten that because now we wasted eight weekends in a row. <laughs> you know, let's just do it. So I think comedy sort of plays into that impatient hand right. of mine, but also I like how it pushes your brain, you know, when you go, you know, when you've resolved something really complicated, mm. even if you're playing like, cards and you just sort of 
go, oh, if I, if I take that card, I can do, 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 and you just pack everything out and you go, huh, rummy, I did it, you know. And then you go, my brain did that. I wasn't even aware yeah. that that was happening. And then how impressed you are with your brain. So when I'm on stage, it's like that. If I go, oh, this is, this is going to top, then it's almost like my comedy brain takes over and goes, don't worry. We'll do this, you know, and it sort of pokes up, and then it just takes over, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just talk my way out of that, and then afterwards you go, what did I say? And so I try and record my one-hour shows, because mm. sometimes a one-hour show can be an hour and 48 minutes, and you're like, that 48 minutes was my brain just going, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can kind of resonate with that, because it's kind of something, I think, if you allow your mind to overthink, yeah. you can't think properly. You stop yourself from actually getting on with it. Yeah. Because I do dancing a lot as well. Yeah. And I've noticed for myself as well, when I'm in this um, moment where I'm like, oh shit, this is it. Yeah. You know, everyone's here. Yeah. Like if I'm doing improv or something. Yeah. I'm, I don't even know what I did, but I'm actually, when I look back, it's like, How, where did that come from? Yeah. I haven't even learned that from anywhere. Like, yeah. what is it? It's freedom. Like, yeah. It's like, there's something about like allowing that you do have the ability and the reflex to just do what needs to be done yeah trust you know, in, in the that process. moment yeah 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 because yeah, i think moment. our default is to question ourselves i think so yeah it's like is this will this be okay especially where we in the the world that we live in now i do a few of those shows you know sort of like seven days but in australia i do shows too that's the same you know sort of it's so fast you just sort of blurt out and then someone said to me aren't you scared that you will offend people and i go no because if you're not an asshole even when you're talking fast, you won't offend because it's not in there. You know, it's only when you're an asshole that you have to watch everything. <laughs> and even if it like it's come out like you're an asshole, you'll be able to fix it because not you're not actually an asshole. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, you know, if there's a lot of stuff that you're hiding in the back of your brain, oh, it's gonna come, come out. out. That's why, that's why you get those people that get called out. You know, celebrities that have said like Roseanne Barr. Yeah. And you go. Yeah, it's come out because you're an asshole. Because it's in there. It lives in mm. there. But if it doesn't live in there, you don't need to worry. Your brain will just fire shit out. And then afterwards you go, what did I say? You go, it was funny. All of it. Like, <laughs> good. Like, it never even crosses my mind that, do I offend people? And that, no. Because you know your brain doesn't work like that. Oh, funny. Going back to how you were saying you had your first gigs and other people accidentally signed you up to things. Yeah. What was it like first starting out in the sense that did you go, okay, oh, after that, was it the second one where you, it was so exhilarating? It was like, I get to invoice this. Yeah. I'm going to go straight in, cold turkey, drop everything and do this full time? Or was there like a transition period? No, there was definitely a transition period because I, I didn't think it could be a career thing at all anyway. But I, because I started in 2008 and then, you know, 2000 for the remainder of 2008 and 2009, I didn't do a lot of gigs but I just loved all of it and I didn't because I had a full-time mm -hmm. job and it was still pretty full-on I didn't get a chance really to hang out with other comedians and just right. sort of get into that world proper so I didn't really know any of the other comics and the other ones that I did know like Irene Pink was also full-time employed so yes. we sort of just had that I can meet you for a coffee during lunchtime in the city you know that kind of with all the other comics, when they start out, they're just at the comedy club all the time and they soak up as much mm. comedy as they can. But I didn't get to go into that world. Julie got made redundant because then the recession hit. I said to her, just for a year or so, just see what you want to do. And then, you know, because mm. I had the job in advertising. and So we just kind of coasted. And then in 2010, she started working again. And I go, 
at the end of that, I said, we have to decide if I'm going to do this comedy thing, if I can take on more than I am now, because mm. I can sort of feel, because at that point, I immediately started going to Australia, because I didn't know what the other comics were doing, I heard that there's festivals in Australia, so I immediately went over in 2009 and did my first festival in Adelaide, and then I started doing Melbourne, and so I immediately started working in Australia right off the bat same time as in New Zealand so it sort of grew at the same pace and then um, I said to you, you know people try and book me for stuff but I can't get leave of work because at this point I already owed them a month you know so if I had to resign from my advertising yeah. job I'd have to pay them a month's salary you know yeah, yeah, I go yeah, so yeah. we have to decide what we're going to do here because I'm sort of stuck you can't ride two horses with one ass I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And then I, I decided I'd resign in January. This was December 2010. And then I got called in on the 23rd of December. And they said they're going to have to make me redundant. Because uh, at this point, they sort of scaled most of the agency mm -hmm. back. And they lost another client. And then they go, we're going to have to. Because I was the most senior, so most expensive. So they have to let me go. And I didn't want to say to them I was going to resign anyway because I, I had been there for three years. So I was like, I'm getting a payout here. But I didn't say anything. And then I just sent Julia a text message to say they want to make me redundant. And she goes, don't smile too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went back in and I said, you know, if we're going to do it, let's not stretch us out because they sort of give you the opportunity to go yeah. into, you know, hearings and all of this. I go, let's just do it. Pull up the paperwork, I'll sign it today and let me leave. And then January, I'll just get on with trying to find a new job. And they went, okay. And then we just resolved it. I got made redundant and I got a payout that sort of lasted us four months. And then January, I got on a plane, went to Australia and did three months of work over there. And it just kind of blew up from there. Because then people went, oh, you don't work anymore. We can book you for stuff. And then it just skyrocketed. Then I just worked all the time. And the same in Australia. They're like, oh, we can book you for stuff. This is great. And wow. then so both sides just started working. And then I got seven days and I got a TV show in Australia. Yeah. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And yeah, now we're at a point where I go, I have to book a holiday off because I just, you know, I work like Burned seven out. days a week. Yeah. 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 So you, in, in the sense of like, you know, how some people, like, you said go into comedy clubs and really immerse themselves yeah. in it's like gonna do this yeah. full time do you have any regrets on that sort of thing like do you wish you had done that no 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 because you know what when you just start out and you do that uh you're broke yes <laughs> there's no money and watching yes. other people tell jokes and because i started at the age of 33 you know on beyond you know when you're always broken you're early teens and your 20s and you're like initially you're like I'm a student I'm poor and then you're like I'm a junior I'm poor then in my mid-30s I'm like oh I don't have time I don't want to yeah. be poor I, I don't want to be broke all the time you know I was already sort of at a financial deficit coming in as an immigrant and having nothing no I was like that is not my life I don't want to sit there and hope someone gives me a cigarette or a beer I just want to mm -hmm. have a cigarette or a beer hashtag smoking it's not good for you yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've given that up but you know, like, I didn't want that. I yeah. was like, I've been through starting out in an industry. If I can't just go. And so I think in a way it's better that I didn't. Because then I sort of would follow that recipe. Mm. You know, whereas if you don't know the recipe, you can't make a mistake. 
You go, I'm just, I'm just going where yeah. it's going. It's like the difference between walking a dog that is well-trained and walking a great dame that doesn't know you and won't listen to you and it just kind of goes and you kind of follow yes. and just make sure you keep it safe and out of the road. Yeah. My career is that great dame. Yeah. It just keeps mm-hmm. going and I just make sure it's safe and see where it's leading us. And also, like, if you look for formulas, you're going to stay within one. Yeah. You know, Because then you gonna... know the boundaries. That's right. Yeah. And um, I think that was really good to hear because I think sometimes people, like, we have to go all in. Yeah. And uh, then you, especially if it's, like, uh, something like in the arts, yeah. where figuring out how to make money yeah. out of what you do takes a long time yeah and that it's okay to have other jobs on the side it's imperative because <laughs> yeah. also you otherwise if you don't you hate what you're actually passionate about yeah because you're just like oh my god this is not making me money why yeah. am i doing this yeah or you, you know you this start feeling time. Re- resentful towards other people where you go yes. you don't see the value you're in what <laughs> i do yeah but that's just a yeah. stand-up it's is my so number true. one love but the other stuff is what pays the bills, bills. i yeah. know this yeah. yeah, but stand-up is still my number one. You have to find the balance. Yeah. You know how you were saying when it comes to sort of putting down ideas for your content, mm. you kind of just sit in your office or you might be going and put it down on your phone and yeah. things like that. Is that kind of the extent of generally how you come up with your ideas or is there... Yeah, I'm I'm also pretty good, like you'll see here, <laughs> all my bits of paper in the office and just little bits of pieces of paper where I've written stuff down everywhere <laughs> and mind map and I would literally write words down on a piece of paper or on toilet paper if I can or even in my um on my notepad and my phone I've got all of these where I just go jokes for 2018 and yeah. all the ideas that I've come up with in there but sometimes I read it and I go Oh, parachute and twat. I'm not sure how that is a joke anymore. But so I, I would have woken up in the middle of the night and written that down and go, and then tomorrow morning I go, I don't know what that is. But, <laughs> but then, because I, I write a new show every year, but I think this is where advertising and past experience come in, because then I go, I can just sit down, mind map, and go, okay, this is what I'm writing a show about. And then I split it up, because I think a lot of people go, an hour's worth of talking to me, that's a lot. But if you split it up and you go, it's just four 15-minute sets. So then I write one 15-minute mm. set to that end. Like if mm. I do a show about Loser, then I sort of put everything, then I go, okay, what's the four ideas that I want to talk about? Like people's perception of Loser, my perception of Loser, um, what's an actual Loser and why we're not Losers. And then I start mm. writing 15 minutes on each of those and then I sort of mold them together and I write the segues. So do you think in that sense, like your past experience with other work has helped you reinforce the comedy side of things, like giving you a certain set of skills that perhaps gives you an advantage? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, in that sense, like yeah. putting things together? Oh, yeah. yeah. And also, I think I've got the greatest motivator of all, because a lot of these comics, not a lot of, but say two-thirds of comics on the circuit right now, I just started when they were really young, or has never had a proper job, you know, like mm-hmm. we sit for... So, so I had 15 years in an office behind a computer. They haven't had that experience. But that is a great motivator for me because whenever I go, I can't be fucked to write today, then I always think about looking out of the window at that guy on the lawnmower and go, I never want to be the one in the office again. Yeah. So that is my motivation. I, I don't want to go back to a day job, yes. even though I have that as a backup plan and that is great. Yeah. But I don't want to go back there. There's no plan B. This is it. This is this is, this is well no, yeah. my plan B is the wife can go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I say to her, when I've had a rough tour yeah. or whatever, or I've just been on the road for a long time, I go, yes, I reckon you need to go back to work and I'll stay home. But then I look at the kids and I go, no, it's all right, I'll go. <laughs> you stay here. She's probably like, yep, give it a day. <laughs> so in terms of how you... You said you do a lot of writing for corporates yeah. and you have a book as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a difference in how you put your content together when you are writing and when you are knowing you're going to have to speak about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely. Because, well, I say that, but even in my book, it's very conversational. Okay. And my stand-up is quite conversational too because I think it's the only way that I can cope. Because stand-up, the one that came first, the eldest, out of the different job aspects, because I get really bad stage fright and the only way I can deal with that is to just kind of go, I'm just having a conversation with these people, but I don't, I'm not giving them a chance to speak. Yeah. That's kind of how I'm, mm. I'm just steamrolling them. I'm answering for them without giving them the answer. Whereas when I sat down the first time I had to write something, I was like, okay, they've asked me to write because they've heard what I've said on stage. So I kind of have to keep that in mind and mm. keep it to that voice. But also when you write stuff... You sort of have to, I have to fill in the picture more. I have to, you know, when you yes. when you have creative writing at school and your teacher goes, write a, you know, 500 words on the life of a banana and you go, oh, God. <laughs> you know, then you sort of focus on the banana and where the banana's from. But when I'm writing, then you kind of have to do the full picture from where the banana will end up and the hopes and dreams of the banana because now I have to picture that whoever's reading my words might be like my... My wife, who doesn't have that, she's very, you know, numbers. <laughs> she's a practical woman. Yeah. And, um, like, I can tell her a story and she goes, I don't get it. Like, I, you know, you sort of have to <laughs> fill in that picture yeah. so so proper that, you know, it's not. there's never only 500 words on a banana. You have to do 8,000 words to explain that banana and where that banana's mm. parents are from and, you know, sort of yeah. get in the full. So it's more intense, I think, writing. Yeah. Whereas with words, I go... I can just write down three words and go, yeah, it's about half an hour yeah, of talking. Right, <laughs> gotcha. You can't do that yeah. in a book. So there, there is a slight difference between how you write and how you speak, but yeah. but generally you do take into account how you like to share things or communicate. Yeah, yeah. And bring the that voice into your stays life. the same. The voice stays the, the same. The yeah. words are different, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. And uh, do you feel like you have any practices or mindsets or anything that you feel help you be more creative with your work yeah if I'm around other people you know it's Mm. that whole thing be around like-minded people Mm. so when I'm during a festival I usually write the most because you're surrounded by all these creative people and you watch their stuff like I don't normally go watch another storyteller I'll go watch you know someone that does political stuff or someone that does you know one-liners or whatever and you go so smart like because I know the process how a storyteller you yeah. know you know how a story works but yeah. when you see someone do something else or a one you know a one woman show or one man show and you're like that's amazing like I never even pictured that just you know they're so creative and you can see yeah. it and you go I, I I can kind of figure how you get here you know mm. sort of but and you just feel inspired by them and then you go out and you have a wine and you chat and they talk about the other things that yeah. they do and you go, oh yeah, that's a thing, you can do that, you know. And So yeah, just hang out with like-minded people. If you get a lot of shit, if you're gay, just 
don't be with those people be with yeah. other guys you know or whatever yeah. your thing is like if you like to eat five green chilies every morning and no one understands you go hang out with other people that like to eat chilies in the morning so, exactly. yeah exactly yeah talking to other people yeah. and the company i keep the company and it's like nourishing yeah, yeah. and persistence is key okay. sometimes i don't want to write and i actually yeah. kick my own ass i go you just sit down and do it and you know what you sort of force your way through those first few shitty lines and then you go oh there it is you know you sort of stumble on it yes i guess for people that do exercise you know if you don't feel like going for a run but you put the clothes and you put the shoes on and you start and then once you start you're like actually this is good this is what i need yeah you know not that i have any you know reference to that but <laughs> in my mind that's what it's like you just kind of sometimes have to put the shoes on yes. and start doing it i think that's a good one as well because the more important or worthwhile something is, the harder it is to start sometimes. Yeah. It's like there's so much resistance to like, oh, I, don't, I should do this, but I just can't. And so for you, you just sit down mm. and just get on with it. Do you go through like a journey between going, oh, I should do this and then actually sitting down? Well, no, what I do, and I think it comes back to just, you know, having an office job when I go... I have to write something, all right. So then I go, I have to go to the office. So this is my office. It's just a room outside yeah. our house. But then I go, I make myself a coffee. I have a shower. I brush my hair. I do yeah. everything like I'm going yeah. to the office. Always wear a bra <laughs> when I go to the office. <laughs> I take my coffee and I come out and I sit down at my desk and I start writing like I'm at the office. Because mm. I think just having that structure, because if I'm inside, then... Yeah, oh, I have such a TV on, you know, like there's yes. so many distractions for us now, you know, Facebook and internet and all that. Whereas, you know, if you just go and you sit and you're at work, you can't just keep flipping over Facebook or, you know, go, oh, I'm not really in the mood to do this. I'm going to go sit in the kitchen and watch a bit of TV. No, you'll lose your job. So I kind of work it on the same, you know, I go, mm. I'm going to come to the office, I sit down and I start writing. And even yeah. if I'm just out here for an hour or two hours a day, I feel like mm. I've done my time. I can go in, I've written a joke today. Even if it's not a good joke, it's a joke and it could potentially go somewhere. Yeah, yeah and you spend two focused hours on it rather yeah. than like tiddling around yeah. here and there. So that's yeah. from my mum's policy. She always yeah. goes, if you don't feel well in the morning or you don't feel motivated, have a shower and brush your hair and put a good bra on. You'll yeah. be amazed how your day <laughs> changes. And I tell you what, sometimes I go, I cannot be <sighs> fucked with today. I just go, okay, have a shower, put a good bra on, let's see. And you do, you just feel better. Yeah. <laughs> And I think because a lot of creatives work from home as well, it's yeah. hard to create that boundary. Yeah. Like one of my friends talks about how she knows someone who literally you know, sends the kids to school and in the morning she does that same thing, gets dressed, showers, exactly like she goes. She mm. walks out the door, comes back around the garden, walks in through the house again like she's walking into yeah. the office. It's like, all right, I'm here to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit extreme, but yeah. sure, what works, yeah. works, right? Look, look she's a mental, but... <laughs> So on rainy days, she goes, I can't come to work today because I don't want to yeah. walk through the garden. <laughs> no, I think there must be that separation. It's nice because we've got the kids. I kind of go, I'm going to go do some work in the office. And they know. And they go, okay. And then I come out here and I do some work. And occasionally they'll come in and I'll give them stuff to shred or, you know, they'll sit here on the floor and colour or whatever. But my, mostly they just leave me to it. And yeah, I kinda... they know. Have you had moments where you've actually been quite stuck though like where you're like oh my god i need to write for this stand up or whatever this book or 
publication and it's just not coming it's not getting there yeah i have and actually i think the smaller jobs are the worst ones at the moment i have to write 60 seconds like an ad for south african tourism in my brain i go there's too much to say for 60 seconds but then when i sit down to start i go what do you say <laughs> you know like where yeah. do i even begin or mm. is there enough or is it too much you know mm. it's sort of that weird balance and what the smaller jobs i think is almost harder but no, I'm pretty good on a deadline. I have to set a deadline. I have to, and maybe it's all those years in the newspaper industry, but if I know I have to do it by four, I'll do it by four. I'm not saying mm. it'll be the best job I've ever done. And occasionally I'll write something and I'll submit it. And I'll go, yep, that's fine. And then when it comes to the record on the day, I'll go, so that that I gave you, I'm happy to record that but I've rewritten it and I think this is better and they'll go oh yeah that's way better but also because of the nature of the beast once I start talking and you hear it out loud because again mm. it's just so you know private and just in your own head and if you don't say it out loud it's like a tree falling in the forest is it funny is it real who you know okay. so once I start talking then it's like that comedy brain goes it's all right We've got the idea. We know where you want to go. And then right. it's kind of go, you know. So when you're stuck for ideas or about anything, it's just kind of talking it out. Work through it. And work through it. Yeah. And, just, and it will come. Yeah. yeah. Like sometimes okay. when I'm at a corporate and I, I know I have to write something, say an ad, I'll put it in there and their stuff, yeah. you know, just make a little joke about it and then sort of see how they react to it. Like yeah. they don't know I'm trying new stuff out on them. Because yeah. if you package it nicely and well-formed, funny stuff then they just laugh and then you give them something new and you see their reactions and sometimes they're like i don't what's happening and other times they just laugh and you go okay i'm on the right track it is funny i don't need to give them all of it because now my brain knows which direction to go yeah. have you had any moments where something didn't work though like completely flopped it was like a failure and how did you get up from that oh yeah I've had heaps of those yeah. moments, yeah. Where you go, oh, that did not work at all. <laughs> I just died on my ass. I've, my first corporate was in Adelaide to, you know, heaps. There were, these people bought tables, like $800 a table kind of thing. And wow. then they got dinner and a show, like comedy. And they just didn't like it. And I wasn't very good at it, but I didn't know. You know, I was just kind of, because I only had like an hour and a half material at mm. this point and it was you know i used that hour and a half for pub gigs for festival show for like that's it because mm. i'd only just started and then the guy goes can you do an hour and i'm like yeah i've got an hour and then of course it wasn't suitable for people all dressed up out on date night my mum's age you know sort of a mm. you have to adjust your material and play to the crowd but because I, I didn't have the material or the skill set. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of rolling with my hour, not, mm -hmm. you know, sort of going, this is comedy, you will take it, kind of scenario. And when they didn't like it, I was like, oh, what's happening? And this one woman actually put her hand up. She goes, excuse me, can you leave? And I went, Holy shit. Yeah, real bad. Wow. And I went, no, I'm at work. And then people sort of turned on her but for being rude. And, you know, they sort of started shouting at each other. And I was like, what is happening? like I had oh no God. idea about crowd control or anything and the worst was that was the first night I was booked to do it two nights in a row so I said to the owner Rahul I said to him I can't I cannot come back tomorrow like he goes oh fuck that you're coming back this is how I sold it and I can't find someone else on short notice you just have to fix it 
And so I went, okay. Thanks. And then the whole next day, I was went, okay, I can't roll with that same shit. So I basically just took the material that I had, the hour and a half, and I kind of rewrote it as sort of how I would tell these jokes to my mum, sort of filtered with a bit more innuendo instead mm -hmm. of saying it, you know, sort of a softer right. version of what I had. And the whole day, that's all I did. I was just working on this. And then that night I went and I had one of the best gigs to date of my life. Roll goes see. <laughs> and I go, I'm so yeah. glad. I, he did the tough love thing where he goes, you're coming back. Yeah. And B, um, I was kind of forced to go, okay, well, it wasn't really their fault. It was my fault, but not my fault because I didn't know what I was doing. I was yeah. too new to know that I shouldn't have taken the gig. Yeah. But I can fix it. You know, it's not a train smash. Like those people on the first night will forever go, even if they see me on TV now in Australia, they go, I saw her a few years ago. She was so shit. You know, like they will always have that. You know, when you right, see someone yeah, right, right. and then say so you saw Celine Dion when she yeah. just started out and yeah. now you see and you go, I don't get it. I saw it. She was shit. You know, but you don't yeah. know. She just had a bad day at the office. Yeah. You know, like, well, just because you saw that person when they're in the shit moment doesn't yeah. mean they're going to be shit for the rest of their life. Hopefully you know? not. <laughs> well, no, <yes>. no surgeon <laughs> starts off the best in their field. Right, they eventually right. get there. So would you say in that sense, like when you did that first night that... Yeah your material was perhaps not true to you in some ways and then you changed it when you say the next day to be more like you're speaking to your mum? Well, so the first night when I just did it, up until that point, because I'd only done festivals and pub gigs, yeah. so I thought that was what people wanted to hear basically. So it was jokes, but it was dirtier than it needed to be. Right. Because filth gets a laugh when people are drunk. Mm. You know, when you tell a dirty joke, everyone laughs, but yes. it's because they're drunk. But when they're not drunk, and they're just having dinner, and you're like, it's not how I really would talk. You know, I was sort of playing mm. that up. And, I, and now I know, when you start out, a lot of comics are quite filthy, because that's what gets a laugh, because it's hard to tell the difference between ha-ha and ho ho, -ho. Yeah. So, But now I know. So you can just tell jokes that doesn't need to be... It's filthy. And that taught me that. So see, yeah, well, shit. But, I mean, I've failed heaps since then, too. You know, I've bombed out on TV shows or on galas and stuff. But the value that you take from that and how much you learn from it, the payoff is bigger than nailing a five-minute seat. When you go, oh, for the rest of my career, I will always remember that I cannot pull the shit that I pulled tonight or that going out nervous or, you know, as, as I'm worth it. Or what I've learned now is... Not to dress and stuff that I don't feel comfortable in. Mm. Which I, in the beginning, if I had a TV show or something, I, I mean, fuck, I've done a gala in high heels, which I never wear heels in my life. And then on a gala, I'm wearing these high heels. And even while I'm on stage, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not comfortable. And you can see it when you watch the set. You go, something's off. Yeah, I'm not comfortable. So now I just go, even if I do a TV show or a TV slot or whatever, and they go, um, they'll dress you, and they go, we got you these heels. And I go, I don't wear heels. What else have you got? Or I can wear my shoes that I brought. Yeah. Like, I only go with what is comfortable. But again, I think it goes back mm -hmm. to, um, in my mid-40s now, and I'm not going to take shit. I want to do what is comfortable. I, I don't want to, you know, like in your 20s, you will do whatever, you know, because you don't want to offend anyone. You don't want to lose a job. You don't yes. want to, you know, you go... 
okay, whatever makes you happy. Whereas now I'm like, uh, whatever's going to make me happy is what I'll be doing. Yeah. Thank you so much. And they're, <laughs> and they're essentially hiring for what you do yeah. and how you do it, right? Yeah. And if that's not including, say, high heels, then yeah. why do it? Yeah, heaps of ladies will be heavily into those heels that you've unpacked yeah. there, but it's not me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know from some of the stories I've heard and read about you as well. I know the early years from South Africa were quite challenging in terms of environment, family, money, etc. Yeah. I'd love to know how did you come to terms with those experiences and really channel them in a more positive way and if humour had any role in that in kind of filtering those experiences and moving forward. Oh, yeah, that's it. I mean, humour is a survival technique, isn't it? Mm. Like, that's why... Even like after the Christchurch earthquake, when people were so down and they had nothing, and we went down and we did heaps of fundraisers in Christchurch right after the earthquakes, and people came out to the shows, and then afterwards they'd come up and they'd hug us and go, I needed that laugh. And you go, yeah, I get it. Because when your life is shit, mm. you don't need to sit with more shit. You need to step it up. You need to rise up, right? So, and the best way to do that is to lighten your own situation and to go, you know, instead of looking at a situation and go, this is terrible, what else is going to happen? Instead of doing that, you look at it and you go, okay, how are we getting out of this? How are we doing this better from yes. here on out? So, I, and I think it kind of helps, like, what's my background? And I talk about it on stage. I, I grew up super poor. My dad is really abusive. and But I, I can reference that and I... It also guides me in my comedy, and I would never bring stuff like that up as a joke. Mm. I don't mind talking about it. I've talked about losing a baby on stage, but I didn't make a joke about it. I just said it. I I shared with the audience because it's a conversation, and not all conversations are 100% hilarious all the time. No. You know, there's ebbs and flows and everything. So I think you can bring stuff up and then go, but this is how I coped. And then, you know, sort of bring humour back into it. And I think it's important because you don't go to a comedy show and think the person on stage is a machine that's just going to shoot out jokes at you. Mm. The comedian, our job is literally to hold up a mirror to society and go, this is what's happening to us. Mm. You know, everything from bad drivers, shitty politicians, to occasionally someone loses a baby or, oh, you're poor. I get poverty, you know, we can, mm. but sort of that's how we linked to each other because of, yes. not because of the good stuff, but because of the challenges we've been through, you know, sort of, so when I'm on stage, that's how you connect the room with each other. When I make a joke, you know, about growing up super poor and the people laughing and you go, oh, they get it. So when you laugh in the audience as someone who grew up super poor and you see other people that grew up super poor, you know, laughing, yes. and then people who don't get it, you go, I'm linked to these people. That's laughing with me. But then when I make another joke about, you know, something about drinking, and the people who laugh then, they are now linked to the other people mm. laughing around mm. them. And eventually the whole room is linked in some way. Yeah. So, you know, if it's part of my story, I tell it. Yeah. And I think it's like that contrast as well, right? If someone was standing up on stage and telling you about how something sucks over yeah. and over again, it's like, what is that's not changing anything. Yeah. That's not helping anyone process and resolve whatever shit that thing is. Yeah. Um, but if you had a little bit of humor into it, like, yeah. you can, it gives a bit of hope. Well, that's yeah. how I feel anyway. Like, you'd be yeah. like, oh, yeah, there's other people who have also been through this. Yeah. It can be okay. You yeah. can get through it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or when you, you know, you make a joke, say you say about, you know, smelly farts or whatever. <laughs> Not that I have it, but you know, you go, you you highlight something that can happen to you or your body, and then you see in the audience they go, "Oh shit!" It happens to everyone because sometimes if something happens that is so disgusting yeah. in your own body, you go, mm. "I cannot tell anyone about this." But then you hear a comic say it, and people laughing, and you go, "It happens to you yeah. guys too," you know. And then so. We've brought up something hideous. And then everyone's like, oh, that's disgusting, but we get it because it happens to us too. Yeah. And then you sort of take it from there and it almost neutralizes that weirdness that's about right. it, you know, and now yeah. all of a sudden you don't feel so isolated. You go, we all go through this. This is great. Yeah. You're you not know? alone and kind of de having to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, um, I'm obsessed with Maya Angelou at the moment. Oh. And the many interviews that she does, in one of them she talks about how a lot of people don't know that some of the great people like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King actually had an incredible sense of humor. And she feels like the young people really need to remember that mm. and know that about them as much as the other stuff. Yeah. Because that's important. also important. So I know you touched on it a little bit when you with the last question, but why do you think humor is so important and perhaps the sense of bringing about change? Well, because number one, it connects people. So the minute you make a joke, that's why, you know, like if you do a course on how to present a speech, right? You yeah. can be the prime minister. They always go, open with a joke, you know, so they can yeah. see you're human. You know, they can connect to you. And that's the thing. Comedy connects you with people. The minute you laugh, it's like your soul opens up and goes, I'm open to this. You immediately feel connected to that person. Like if you even just look at photos... And you see there's people with zero expression and then people laughing, you're immediately drawn to that photo. You don't need to be in that environment. You don't need to be able to hear what's going on. You're just immediately, picture-wise, drawn to the happy ones. So that's what laughter does and comedy does. It sort of links us, you know. That's so true. It's mm. a really beautiful way to put it. In terms of when you're on stage, because I've heard from a lot of different types of performers as well, that no matter how long you've been doing whatever you do, you can always experience some kind of stage fright or performance anxiety. Mm -hmm. Do you get that still or mm -hmm. have you found ways to kind of deal with it? No, I get it I get it really bad. I always right before I have to go on, when I'm standing side of stage, I sort of have this internal dialogue where I go, Why am I doing this? Like I'm petrified. I never used to be scared going into my office when I worked in advertising, you know, I'd go there and be completely confident and know exactly what I was going to do that day and I knew exactly how it would pan out, you know, like there were no surprises and now I'm here and I'm scared and I don't know them, they don't know me, anything could go wrong. Like I did a gig in Ararat last week where all the lights blew out while I was in the middle of a show, you know, we were all just there in the dark and I'm like, none of that stuff ever happened. Like even if we had a power outage, oh shit, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, go sit in the park till it comes back, you know. But then once I'm out and I start talking, like that walk from side of stage to the microphone is the longest walk. And you can hear your heart beating and your mouth is dry and you're like, can they hear my heart? And then I can hear the blood going through my body and I can't even hear them really because my just everything that is going on. But as soon as I take the microphone and I take it out of the stand, and I always turn to put the mic stand behind me, because in that turn, I have to exhale, because I've been holding my breath the whole oh. time walking up, 
And then when I turn around and I look at their faces and they smiling, it just makes me smile. And then we start. And I always start every show with, hi, how are you? Like I greet them. Like I just open the door, the front door yes, for them. Yes. Because it's like visiting someone, even if you know them, you're sort of walking from the that car to the door. You know, there's sort of something happening where you go, wonder, you know, what's going to happen, what we'll do. You don't even realize you're nervous till they open the door and they go, hi, come in. And then you go, hi, and you immediately relax. That's that moment for me and them. And then I'm Thanks. fine. So, yeah, I just kind of, and again, that motivator, I don't want to go sit in the office. I want to be outside on the lawnmower. Then I go, <laughs> I just remember that. But it's debilitating. I've got a friend who's a comedian who no longer does stand-up because of that. And she's amazing, but she just goes, I can't that bit. Because we talk about it a lot because we both have it. And she goes, but I, I can't talk myself through it. I can't do that walk anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why the stage to the microphone. But then the payoff for me, because then I go, yeah, advertising, I knew exactly what I was doing and I was confident, but it wasn't as exciting as comedy and no one was as happy to see me at the office as that audience is, you know, and even afterwards or when you talk to people or they email me and they go, I've had such a shit week and I went to your show and I had the best time and I just laughed and for an hour I didn't think about anything but laughing, um, you know, and you kind of go, oh, I never got that kind of feedback. I saw your billboard and uh, you made me feel good. Never got that. <laughs> It's um, reassuring, you know, all that like effort and the anxiety that you go through on the stage is like, oh, it's actually at least being received well. That yeah. gives you another motivation and encouragement to keep going. Yeah, yeah. yeah or when, when I, sometimes I say something on stage and I may think it's a flippant, you know, throwaway line. And then afterwards I'll get all these messages from people going, thank you for bringing that up. I did the show about studies of shown and I had all the studies I was going to talk about. But then I read an interesting study about how fat people are perceived to be the dumbest, laziest people, regardless, right? You can meet them as your boss and your brain still goes, this is a lazy um, fat person, you know, like, and dirty. So I use that as a throwaway line. And then I got all these messages from people going, yeah, that's, you know, that's perception we need to change. And and I was like, really? There's a lot of people getting that. I guess... Because I have quite a big personality, and I'm usually the one talking, so I don't get a lot of shit from other people. Um, <laughs> but then I go, there's people out there that don't have my strong voice. That doesn't, you know, just sort of steamroll a conversation. Um, and then they have to hear all this shit from people. So when you talk about it, and then they go, I'm not going to take that mm. anymore. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to address it when it comes up. I'm like, that's great. And the same when, we, when I did the bit about us losing a baby. Afterwards... Because I said, you know, the numbers. So in every country that I did the show, I would give them the numbers of what their mm. rate is. And, you know, it's, it's a quarter. It's more than a quarter of all pregnancies. And then people go, yeah, I've never told anyone, but this is what happened to us. And I would get all these stories from people or even afterwards, people would wait for me um, and they go, this is what happened. Or we just lost a baby this week. Or I was like, holy shit. And they go, we haven't told anyone. And now she goes, I'm going to go phone my friend or I'm going to do this or, you know. I'm like, yeah, they probably have lost the baby too, you know. And there's something quite empowering in also just not keeping it a secret anymore. Yeah. Like just letting it out. It's like, it's just so good for you. Yeah, just taking a breath. But it doesn't need to be something that you've, you know, whatever it is, ashamed of or, you know. Yeah, because that's the thing. There's a lot of shame involved. And you go, 
why? You know, if we all go through it, or we all know someone that goes through it, there should be no shame. You should just be able to go, yeah, this has happened. You know, sort yeah. of let's work through it. And I've seen so many stories where someone finds the courage to just share it, mm. share the truth, and then they get this flood of response, and then they're like, oh, I was kind of in one, some way offloading, yeah. but there's so many people. and that Look at um, Hannah Gatsby's Nanette. That's why it's taking off, because so many people go, I get that. Yeah. Or, totally. you know, that's me. And then they sort of just, yeah, and that's yeah. what's massive. Yeah. What do you think has helped you develop more courage and confidence so far with what you do? Just the feedback on yeah. the audience and, mm. you know, and I go, well, as long it's like supply and demand. As long as people want to see me, I'll carry on doing it. But also, you know, like I'm quite honest with myself and I go, if, if it works, I'll do it. If it doesn't work, then I will pull the pin on it. But so far, I'm happy and the audience is happy. Just literally that. Mm-hmm. If it works, I'll do it. If it doesn't, I won't. <laughs> what advice would you give to anyone still in the process of searching for what they want to do, what they resonate with, whether in terms of their career, yeah. or even having the courage to really do what they and be what they want to do? Yeah, be brave. Do it. Just mm-hmm. do it. I'm not saying you have to quit your job. or. But when I did stop working... You'll be amazed how you can scale down financially. Mm-hmm. You know, you go, I can't, I need that salary. No, you don't, not really. You can you can scale down and live um, in a studio flat or, you know, like you, it's amazing how you will make a plan. You know, things just going to work out. But if, there's, if it's something you have to do and you feel it in there, because like, there's this woman that was in the mall once and she was sort of, I think it was like cream or something, you know, giving samples. And I walked past her and she goes, you're that comedian lady. And I turned to her and we're about the same age. And she goes, you know, I've always wanted to try comedy. but And she just kind of shook her head. And I looked at her and I went, so do it. And she goes, oh, I can't, it's too late. And I went, as long as you're sucking in air, you can do it. Exactly. Like I read this article once about this woman after... Her kids had moved out of the house. She was a housewife, a stay-at-home mom, and, you know, her husband was real, you know, a businessman, and she was real busy, you know, running all of their lives and stuff, and then the kids moved out of the house, but her husband still had the business, and she was really involved in that. And sort of just never kicked into whatever she wanted to do. And then her husband suddenly died of a heart attack, and she was in her mid-60s, and she goes, now. Then she went to medical school and she graduated when she was like 72 and she, she was a doctor, a medical doctor. You know, she only worked for like two years, but she did it. She did it. So whenever I think, you know, if I go, oh, I can't be fucked, it's, I'm too old, for, then I go, actually, no. Yeah. There's no age limit to chasing your dreams. You should just do it. As long as you inhale air, you can still do it. You should do it. You it's owe it to yourself. It's never too late. Yeah. Never You'll stop late. dreaming about the lotto in no time. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, we'll finish off with a quote. Yeah. And this is another quote by Maya Angelou, where she says, Brevity is the art of art and the soul of wit. Great. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, she's right. I, <laughs> I, love, I love Maya Angelou when she passed away. It was the saddest day of my life. Um, she's right. You know how people go, the eyes are the windows to the soul. It's not, it's getting your point across. Mm. that is what it is you know using your words and and connecting with people yeah Mm. awesome thank you so that's it for this episode of curiously creative we hope it has sparked a little 
or a lot of creativity and curiosity in you. Curiously Creative is a production by Curiously Creative. Who would have thought? So if you'd like to know our comings and goings and check out some more inspiring content, head on over to curiouslycreative.co.nz. Until the next episode, with lots of love and a massive splash of joy, Akriti, your creative curiosity advocate. Oh, and if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a comment on iTunes as it helps more people find these conversations.